everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, where we bring you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who help you connect with where your passion meets the world's deep need. I'm very excited about our guest on the podcast today, Eddie Koffoltz. Eddie's conversation is our first surprise episode of this podcast season. And y'all, this conversation is just the best. I loved it so much. Let me tell you a little bit about Eddie. Eddie is the producer and host of The New Activist. It's a podcast dedicated to hearing from activists and world changers who are tackling some of the world's biggest problems. So if you haven't already done so, you really must go and subscribe to The New Activist podcast. It listening to it has changed my life, and I know it will do the same for yours. In addition, Eddie is also on staff with International Justice Mission, a non-government organization dedicated to ending slavery around the globe. And he also happens to be an Asbury Seminary alum. In today's conversation, Eddie and I talk about his work with International Justice Mission, of course, but we also talk about how he first got started and became aware of the need and moved to his current role of being an activist. And since it's Christmas, it wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk about how we can look at giving this Christmas, whether to our friends, family, or to organizations who would benefit from our gift with a heart for social justice. So now let's listen to my conversation with Eddie Koffeltz. First of all, Eddie, I am just so grateful that you took the time to chat with me today. I've been looking forward to our conversation ever since we, ever since I emailed you. Heidi, so I, you, you are so kind. It's, I, I love being on this show and I love Asbury and you and your husband. People don't know this background. Heidi, before she was married to Wesley, am I allowed to share personal information about your life yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, sorry. Like, yeah, go I, ahead. I, when you emailed me, I'm like, Wilcox. I played guitar with a Wilcox back in the Asbury days. And I was like, what are the chances? They're related. And not only are they related, but they are married. So it yeah. is just so fun to like meet you finally, because I love Wesley and love Asbury and your podcast. And I'm just, I think it's really neat to be here. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying yes. I appreciate it. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And let me tell you, I am loving the series you're doing right now on Esther for the new oh. Activist podcast. Like, seriously, it is changing my life. Oh, my. Well, yeah. that's a high praise. Uh, thank you. It has been a privilege to get to tell Esther's story and to share it a bit with the world. So, t- But you also know making a podcast, we just create these MP3s and you just kind of send it into the cloud. And you're like, well, I guess people are listening. And so to hear some to hear you echo back that you've heard it is and been moved by it means a lot. So thank you. Yeah. I look forward to it every Monday and Monday is my day to run on the elliptical. And so I am like, it came out on this past Monday and I was like, Oh yay, My run is seriously going to be so much better. And then (laughs) like this past episode, I was like, I mean, I'm not literally crying on the elliptical because that would be awkward, right? <laughs> but I'm like almost crying because the story is just so moving. Oh. And I'm like, I want to do something. Oh, yeah. That is very sweet. <laughs> yeah. So how did you first find out about Esther? And tell us just a little nutshell about how you got started telling her story. Well, yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, with IJM, um, and we can talk more about IJM later, but this organization I get to work for is called International Justice Mission. And, you know, as a longtime supporter of IJM and a volunteer and just a fan of IJM and now on staff, we hear these stories over and over again of people who were in slavery and are not. And then we hear the circumstances that brought them in and brought them out. And, 
you know, we've been doing this activist podcast for a couple of years, but really hadn't turned the turned the microphone on ourselves. And I really wanted to tell a client IJM story well. And so the way we were able to do that was I actually we contacted our Ghana field office and just said, hey, here's this crazy idea. We want to do a real in-depth podcast. We want to have unprecedented access to a client and a client's life. Is there anybody that you feel like could be honored by this process that is old enough to understand this process? You know, that because there's all the the pieces to it that you're going to you're going to be exposing some of this person's life. Do they understand that? Can is it is it safe for their development and mm-hmm. everything? And so and they came back and just said, oh, we we know exactly. you got to tell Esther's story. And in finally getting to meet Esther, they were right. She is about telling the world the journey that she went through and the recovery that she's a part of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's very moving. So if you haven't listened to it, I really encourage you to go check out the new Activist podcast. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So on your podcast, you frequently ask your guests to define activist. And this was several episodes ago with Jenny Yang, who's with World Relief, or who was at the time. Yeah, the best. Yeah, she's she's an incredible human being. Uh, Anyhow, I interrupted your question. I'm sorry. Um, Yes. So Jenny Yang was on. Yeah. And she gave a definition that stuck with me. And she said that you move from apathy to awareness to action to advocacy. So I wanted to turn that question back around on you. Can you walk us through the journey that you went through to become an activist? (laughs) What a great question. I know it's so hacky to say what a great question every time, but that (laughs) is a really thoughtful uh, question. Um, I'll stop saying it, but just know inside my head, I'm saying great question. Thank Um, you. I appreciate the encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was a pastor at a church in Orlando and, uh, and we're kind of in the apathy stage right now. Uh, I was a pastor in a church, loved being a pastor in a church, privileged, called to do that, felt well sent by Asbury to do that work. Um, and one day we just had a guest speaker come and the guest speaker was from IJM and I had heard of IJM sort of in the periphery, but I didn't know much about the work. And this guest speaker came up and, you know, it was one of those big old churches where we have like five services. So I didn't, I wasn't paying attention (laughs) during the first (laughs) service or second service, maybe, or was floating around the lobby chatting with people. But somewhere during the fourth service, I finally heard what the guest speaker was saying. And it was that there were slaves in the world, like actual people in slavery. And there are more slaves now than there have ever been. And IJM knows about this and has a, has a solution and is working to end slavery. And so it was in that moment that I both realized my apathy was like, I did not, I did not know this. How how is this possible? How is this pandemic of slavery happening? And I didn't know. And then just kind of like immediately clicked to awareness where it was like, okay, I understand this. Uh, This is not okay. And, you know, everybody has things that like ring their bell when they, they hear about it. I mean, some people, you know, they, experience, you know, like youth ministry or young life. And they're like, that's it. My whole life is going to be about helping with this. So they addiction and recovery. And there's so many different ways, right, that God uses people to go and do the work. But there was something about this particular moment of awareness where I was just like, man, I have got to help. We're going to try to help out. So Brianne, Brianne, my wife and I, we became freedom partners. So that was just like the way to give monthly just okay. start giving money. You know, it's like one of those easy first steps. We started to give money, but then I started to volunteer with IJM a bit and started to try to introduce them to other churches and try, try to just get the word out there. Um, and so then we're kind of moving from the action piece of it. Like now I'm starting to like, all right, I'm taking the IJM steps and I'm really engaged in this, uh, you know, working with them. I 
got a job with them. But I, I think the advocacy piece came with starting the new activist. Um, yeah, for sure. Because for me, this was the show was, you know, I'd been doing the journey of IJM and really been involved in working with the action. But there was a moment where it was like, okay, what can I do with this little world of podcasting that I'm involved in that would actually help? Like, what can I do with my pocket of abilities to help and 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 serve this cause that I care deeply about? And that was the kind of advocacy moment. That's when I started to like try to try to do something that was more tailored to, you know, my my abilities and what I felt like I could best do by serving. And that's why we started the podcast and why I've kind of pushed that along and still do that because we are hopefully giving voice to a lot of people to go and go and change the world. And so it was kind of like that was the that was the advocacy moment for me. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then when did you start the podcast for sure? Fifth. 16, I think. Wow. Okay. So three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's been rolling. And it's been the whole purpose of the show has always been really <laughs> oddly not to not to fully well, like uh, tell people it's not an IJM podcast. I mean, there are people like the guests on the show every week are very rarely IJM people. But the idea was to launch people into their own apathy, awareness, action, advocacy moments by just no. exposing them to the world. Because it was so, I thought to myself, what if I hadn't been in that church that day and heard about IJM? Like, I may have still never known about this. And I just thought, man, I, like, obviously, it's, you know, in the sovereignty of God, we show up in the right places at the right time. And it's all beyond us. Yes. But also, like, we, we've got to build those spaces. And I I just really thought like we and IJM really was like, we want to be a part of not only being that space for people and helping to end slavery, but we want to build those spaces. We want to build places where we can talk about, you know, food equality and racial inequality and, and things that are all over the justice sphere that matter a great deal because people, you know, we really firmly believe that when people hear about it, they understand the road that they're now on. When they go from apathy to awareness, they you've pushed them hard enough and now they're on autopilot. Now they're running. Um, so that's the theory we're running under. That's why we started the show was to expose people to these different justice issues. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's not tech is sponsored by IJM though, yep. right? Is that yep. right? It is. Okay. And we, oh yeah. It's like an IJM show. Um, and, uh, and really, I mean, this is inside baseball, but you know, we wanted to do an IJM podcast so that people would learn a bunch about IJM and really come to, trust the work that IJM is doing. and But part of the work that we do is that we're a bridge building organization. Our work is open source. We hope that people around okay. the world take the model, take the work that we've done, take the, take, you know, take the organizational structure that we've come up with and go start their own great thing. And so part of it was just, you know, if we're going to be bridge building, if we're going to really be about doing the work of justice, we're going to lean in hard to ending slavery, but we're also going to make sure that people who have come to trust IJM are also getting great exposure to other areas of justice around. And so really, you know, IJM, uh, you know, no organization is perfect at all, but I just so deeply respect that they were like, yeah, we're going to make sure that everybody gets a microphone here. We're going to make sure that everybody who's caring about the work of justice and ultimately is really being called by God to go and do this work knows all that they at least all that we can share with them about doing this well. So have you always had a heart for justice? Huh, I don't know. I don't think so. No, okay. <laughs> I, I want to be one of those people that was like, yeah, when I was a kid, 
I just, I just stood up for myself and, you know, or, or not stood up for myself, but stood up for other kids that were being bullied. And that was always my story. But I don't think so. I think I grew up fairly uh, motivated by self. I, there really was an understanding of God or any of that until I was 18 ish, 19 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my world was basically about me and mine and my little world. And uh, so I, I say that because that's just a product of like how I was raised. But once I sort of exploded into the world, you know, as an as an adult and went to college and, uh, you know, thankfully to to young life, you know, prayed for the very first time, understood who Jesus was like is, you know, and continued to 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 grow in faith. The definitely the lens of what mattered became significantly less about me and more about the realities of the world. And then I had just opportunities to go and see parts of the world. And I went on those, I went on a couple of those mission trips that now people goof on because everybody's read, you know, when helping hurts and, <laughs> and things like right. that. And they're like, this isn't actually helpful. I went on a few of those extremely unhelpful mission trips. However, uh, it was exposure therapy. Like it just kind of like, blew my worldview wide open and it was just like oh there's need around the world that i was really sheltered from as a child i was sheltered from the fact that the world is broken and you know we parent differently than i was parented and i'm not blaming anything on my parents but i'm just saying Mm -hmm. like i would have liked to have known earlier but once i started to see and experience then i think it became just really triggered by the fact that it was like we have got to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. We've got to go out and and do this work. And so for me, it really came from a theological place. So I'm not sure if it was anything in my character, uh, but it was just definitely something of understanding the the life of Jesus that was pretty much like undeniably had to go and serve in whatever way I could. I had no intention. I, I don't really think I'm doing anything extremely special, but I'm going to take what little things I can do and go and yeah. try to use it, right? Like leverage my money, leverage time, leverage yeah. whatever, yeah. like just leverage it. Yeah. So you said, that's awesome. So you said, you know, when you first turned to IJM, you started getting money. Yeah. Walk us through how you continue to get involved with International Justice Mission. Yeah. And for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about what IJM does? Yeah. Well, yeah. So IJM is a global organization that protects people in poverty from violence. I mean, that's like the most basic. We partner with local authorities and we have, I think, like 19 program offices in 11 different countries. We're basically all around the wow. world. Yeah. And we combat slavery, violence against women and children, and other forms of abuse of people who are poor. And so in that, we work to rescue and restore victims. We hold perpetrators accountable and we help strengthen the public justice systems that are that already exist. So that's that's the work of IJM. We're w- really working to take a a justice system in a country that has rusted to a halt and oil it and get it moving mm-hmm. again so that the country is about the work that they want to be about, which is ending slavery. And so we help bring resources so the countries can go and do that work. For me, the IJM path was exactly that. I mean, you know, the f- pastor said, that, you know, the guy that came and spoke at our church was like, the first step is becoming a freedom partner. These are people that are really committed to the work. We're going to send you a bunch of prayer updates. We need you to pray. 
we need money to go and do the work. Like they talked about money in a way that was remarkably not gross. <laughs> it was like super right. cool. It was like, we have to be funded to do this. We know where slaves are. We need your help. And it was like, oh, mm-hmm. well, that's a very practical way of asking. Yes, we will help. So, you know, we're given like $24 a month and doing what they asked. And so it was all the small steps. And, and I love that because every organization, ha- it, like the people within the organizations are really smart and have thought about this an incredible amount. And so when they say like, here's a great first step, they're they're not like trying to market you or trick you. They're like praying that you take that step because it's huge. And so for us, like every time somebody is a freedom partner, like we breathe a little sigh of relief because really we are able to fund rescues. We are able to do the work. We're able to expand and we're able to help countries end slavery. So that was kind of the path as I started on doing that and then started volunteering a little bit. And I just talked to our local volunteer coordinator and said, how can I help? And then uh, one day, kind of the big turning point in our life was that the guy that came and spoke at the church called me and said that he was retiring and would I like to, you know, apply for his job. And it wasn't a given. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those like wink, wink, you got the job things like IJM doesn't play like that. So I had to go through like a very rigorous interview process. I'm like, wearing a suit in Washington, D.C. And I'm like, what am I? I'm staying in a Hampton Inn. Like, what is going on? This is so intense. <laughs> you know. And, yeah. um, so I went through like the interview process and then ended up getting the role. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So it was a real progression of just like following. I just really wanted to follow the path that kind of they had prescribed because the work was just so complex that I knew that they had boiled down the steps for me. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, I'm not going to try to like insert my own narrative into this work. I'm going to just do what they're asking. Um, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the, the progress to being a part of the IJM staff. Yeah, that's Eddie. I love that. Mm-hmm. And I love what IJM does um, working with people within the country, not coming in from the outside right. and doing it, but supporting people who are in the country do what they want to do and end yeah. slavery. Oh, yeah. I totally... Yeah, when you see pictures of our field office staff, you're like, oh, look, it's all it's all people from the field because the model just works better that way. I mean, granted, there are some interns and some employees that are from other places around the world, but a majority of the staff is in country because it takes people in country to be able to understand the nuance of the justice system, right? To understand... Mm-hmm that all of the little pieces and the complexities, you you can't really successfully export someone from the other side of the world and expect them to know how to best thrive in Ghana, that you need Ghanaians. Right. And, and our field office staff are the best. I and mean, they're the coolest, greatest people. They're so fun and funny and wonderful. So I love them. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. only met them through your podcast, but they sound like everything you just said they were. Oh, they're the sweetest. Oh, they're sweetest. Yeah. You know Leo, who's been on the podcast? Uh-huh. Oh, he is the funniest, <laughs> sweetest man with a huge laugh and just like, he's just a good, good dude. Um, yeah, I love that guy. So anyway, yeah, they're, they're, they are amazing. And they're also, I mean, they're fierce. They are, they are firmly committed to their work and they don't play. So it's awesome to watch them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so as I mentioned before, I want to, I kind of want to talk about Christmas a little bit and Christmas and giving yeah. and how we can look at Christmas with a heart for social social justice and without guilt, because I've been kind of struggling with like the guilt aspect of I have so much. So 
why should I get more presents? You know, so yeah. but so I want to talk about. I can be really legalistic about things sometimes, and that is not the place I want to be. So I want to talk about all of that too. So. Yeah. Yeah. So here's your question, Eddie. I'm hearing it. I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. How can we look at giving with a heart for social justice this Christmas? Ooh. (laughs) And you can't say great question. (laughs) No, 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 no. Well, I I mean, I'm as curious about your answer as I am with mine. So I'll be curious if you don't mind, like what you have to say about it. Um, But I, I think, I think first of all, is and this is I actually went to Asbury and studied counseling. So I never can get far away from my my counseling training at ATS. Yeah. So part of it is releasing yourself a little bit from the guilt of it all. Because mm, it just is unjust and you'll never be able to fix that. The moment you were born into the United States, the moment you are able to pick up the phone and call 911 and a police officer is there in theory to help you within a minute. Right. The moment you have access to an emergency room, the moment you have access to clean water, you have already tipped the balance deeply, right, to a place that you right. can never untip it. So it's already done. Like you can't outpace the injustice of poverty, right? And, right, right. and the people that have. I think for me, the healthier place a little bit to land, and this is broadly is recognizing that and also really keeping just tabs on when you feel like where you are participating in that is just getting past to a place where it kind of bumps against your own ethic. So I I think there is a, a compass inside of us that we just know like this feels extravagant. This feels a little unnecessary. But then there's also that place inside of us that goes, oh, this is, I really, I'm excited to get this person this gift. This is joyful and lovely. And this helps us, you know, celebrate and remember and understand and look forward to the birth of Christ. Like this comes from that place versus this is kind of a lot. And I think, and I think, I think that that's oriented by really, you know, and I don't want to get, I, well, I, I guess I do. I, th- I think that that gets oriented by a deeper understanding of the person of Jesus. Um, and, and I think that we've got to be able to be cultivating like our own, like our personal pursuit of holiness, really. Like if we're not cultivating yes. that, I think our compass gets off pretty wildly. Um, and, and so I do think, and this is like real, it's very broad, but I think part of it is just giving ourselves permission to understand that we are born here. God gives us all of these things. It is ours. You know, God gives us this life to delight in. But at the same time, we have got a massive amount of work to do. Because if we just, for me, I sit in like, okay, if I just sit in, in this Christmas season, the story of Jesus's birth, I can't party hard enough. (laughs) Like I can't celebrate hard enough because it's just, you can never possibly outgive out gift, you know, like out Christmas party, like out eggnog. You cannot possibly out celebrate the bigness of what we are anticipating and moving towards in Christmas. Yes. Yet at the same time, there is what Matthew five. You are the light of the hill. You, you are the light of the world. Right. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
there is still at the same time we live in the reality that Jesus tells us like, okay, I brought light into a very dark world, right? I was there and I just was an explosion of light into the sin that had encompassed the world. And Mm -hmm. now, and now like we're getting real preachy here, but like, no go. (laughs) like, but like Jesus, like then like, at the same time, we can't forget that there, that there is still this directive where, you know, Jesus is looking at us and say, now, now you go, you go be in light into a very dark world. And so we sit in that tension where we both can't celebrate enough. We can't be happy enough. But at the same time, we're still under this decree to go and do the work that Jesus came to do. And, mm-hmm. and that hasn't disappeared this Christmas season. Like we still got to be about the work. So I think part of it is just like, like, it's okay. It's okay to buy a gift. It's okay to be excited about it. It's okay to be excited about getting a gift. It's just okay. But at the same time, listen to that still voice inside of you that tells you like, okay, this feels like one that we could do without. And this person would be just as happy if you went on and used the, you know, iJam gift catalog and bought them a gift. They would be so yes. excited about that. A five-year-old may not be. So fine, get them Legos. It's fine. Let the, yeah. Everybody gets, it's yeah. okay. But for some people, like they will be as excited. And for you, you may be just as excited. And I also think that there's this point of conviction where it's like, if you're really struggling with this, that's probably saying more about you in this moment than you know, than, than anything else. And I feel like you listen to that. And so maybe if, I mean, if it's like a real point of like, I'm struggling with this, well, maybe this is the Christmas where it's all holiday gift catalogs from great nonprofits. And that's what you buy everybody and everybody will be excited and you will feel resolved in whatever it is that you're struggling with. But I don't know that there is, there is like a, this is bad, this is good. But I think that there's a sense that we know what is right and what is too right, you know? No, I totally, I totally get that. And if we were together in person while you were recording, um, you would have seen my shoulders visibly relax, but like <laughs> buying gifts, it, it's okay. And it I love what you said about there's not a right way or a wrong way to do it, but to just celebrate with joy and delight and do good in your celebration at the same time. Yeah. Cause I just cannot imagine God is furious with us for buying of gift, you know, for our spouse, yeah. you know, by buying them, you know, these earrings they've always wanted. I, can't, I just can't imagine that God is furious with that because we didn't take that $20 and send it to, you know, to, to some organization that's doing good work or something like that. I it just, that does not feel in line with how I, how I understand it. But for some people who are listening to this right now, they're like, I disagree strongly and so for uh-huh. those people i'm like good then don't buy the go for it don't buy the earrings yeah. and go spend the 20 like that is truth for you and i feel like that is where god is uniquely moving you and so uh go to it yeah yeah no i yeah i love that because i i'm realizing more and more how god wants us to live our lives with joy you know right yeah with joy there's enough sadness we can we should be the happiest people ever Right. And and there's a part to it that it's just like you can't sit and wallow all the time in the fact that we do live a disproportionately fortunate life as a yes. U.S. citizen. There are times when that is hard to reconcile. And there are times even within our own country's narrative where it is, I mean, you know, we can read the news every single day. We're like, man, this country is 
in a complex, like a lot of complex conversations right now. Mm-hmm. But I also mm-hmm. think that there's a part of it that's just like, I have got to make sure that I don't just wallow in the sadness that others don't have, but I'm also as equally appreciative that, you know, I have access to clean water, that I have, yeah. that I have, my children are not in fear of being taken on the way to school and being enslaved. Yes. Like, this is just not our story. And I am exceedingly grateful for it. But at the same time, right on the other side of the coin, there is that much responsibility to help yes. others not be in that as well. So it's like, what is it? Great response, power, great, yeah. great responsibility. Yes. yes. What yes. is that from? It's not the Bible. It's like something. I think it's Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I, I, mean, didn't, maybe... I didn't think it was the Bible. No, it's Superman. <laughs> that feels better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we're like, you know, if we're going for the earrings or whatever this Christmas, because it feels right to us um, to, you know, give gifts to people, how can we know that what we're buying isn't contributing to slavery? Yeah, the truth is we can't. And that's what's hard is that um, we can't always, let me say that. I don't know how to walk through Target and pick out a shirt that is or is not contributing to slavery. I Mm -hmm. I trust these organizations, right? I trust that they're working really hard and I don't, I'm not putting Target on blast, but any large company, like any place that you do Amazon that you do your shopping at, I trust that they're working really hard to make sure that their supply chain is slavery free. But at the same time, we still know that there are slaves all around the world that are making gifts that we buy. So the way I do it is, um, is for, I mean, a couple of years ago, we didn't really have a great answer for this, but now we've got a bunch of organizations that put out buying guides. So uh, what is it? Enslaverynow.org. Uh, okay. great. I mean, they just, they're a great resource and they give you great organizations and there's no shortage of, you know, online companies that have, that, that we can go. And if we're really excited to buy XYZ for someone, then we go, you know, earrings, go to noonday. They'll direct you over to noonday. Like noonday makes beautiful earrings. So we know that noonday's entire supply chain is known and transparent. It's awesome. Also, uh, dressember.org. Like, that's another great one. Dressember just okay. came out with a directory, a buying directory. So I'm just giving out websites here. but Yeah, just, no, and we'll link it all in the show notes too. Yeah. So everybody listening, we will have it for you. It's just one of those things that like 10, 15 years ago, we just didn't have the access to this we have now. But one of the good things about the internet is that we really don't have as much of an excuse as we used to. We can look up our pair of shoes that we're excited about and we can see how that supply chain was affected just by Googling it. And yeah. so I, I think that we're just to the tipping point where people can just willing, like blindly go like, I, I, I honestly didn't know. Like, yeah, you did. Like, I think there yeah. was a point in time where people did not know that smoking was bad for you, but then there was about two decades where everybody knew and just didn't want to admit it. Um, right. And, you know, and then finally it becomes public awareness. We're kind of in those two decades right now where, it's it's a little bit on us, and I don't say this as an indictment to people, but it is a it is a Google stop away to go and find out where you can buy any measure of awesome, ethically sourced, thoughtful gifts that also sometimes give back. I mean, it's not just like the supply chain is clean; it's also like they are raising incredibly important funds. So, yeah, and yes. slavery now, dress December, noonday. There are more. I'm sure I'm forgetting, but yeah, yeah, yeah. and we will, like I said, we will list these and. You're like, I'm really excited about this because it's changing how I'm thinking about shopping this Christmas. Totally. So I have, yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah. 
But at Christmas, I don't know if other people are like this. I'm much more likely to think about giving money to other people. Like yeah. I give, my husband and I are faithful in giving all year long because yeah. we've been realizing more and more in new ways, even just a couple of weeks ago, how much we have and started thinking about living with an attitude of abundance instead mm. of scarcity. And that has changed everything for us. Um, and it's been really great. And we're just kind of st- um, starting. I mean, we always gave, but just like the mindset of wh- how we're giving and why has changed. And so I'm really excited to see where that journey goes. How does that work out practically, living abun- with in a mindset of abundance instead of scarcity? Like what changes does, does that make to your day-to-day spending? I think it just, instead of, um, I'm a worrier. And so instead of just being like, oh, well, I don't think we can do that because, you know, it's this amount. It's like not um, overspending even for us or in our giving because, you know, you have to balance the budget at the end of the day. But just to be like, you know, we have enough. And to give, I think for me, it's just an attitude of giving with joy. Like I have enough. It's not giving because I have to and checking off the, oh, the 10% box over here and we tithe. It's like, I think that's a good place to start. So I'm not saying don't do that, but it's just like, okay, whatever. We have this and we can just give it freely yeah. without being like, what does it, thinking about what does it do for, like, what does it keep us from doing? It's just oh, like, yeah. whatever, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then it kind of like that theory gets tested and then it does work out, doesn't it? It does work out. And it's just like, I'm just so much happy. Like, I started thinking about this a couple of weeks ago when something in our personal lives happened. And I'm like, we have enough. We have more than enough and it's going to be okay. Oh, yeah. Now, that's a really good way to put it. Thanks for sharing that. That's very thoughtful. Yeah. 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 But because it is Christmas time, yes. I, I also have a tender heart for people that I hope other people have too. So I hope I'm not alone in this. I'm more likely to give money, um, maybe even give some time too to volunteer. But then January comes and I know from like things in my path, like, you know, January comes and I'm like, okay, Christmas is over. I still have a heart for giving, but I don't put it into action as much. So how can how can we, how can I keep this from becoming a once a season thing and it becomes something that we live into all year long? Well, it's a really thoughtful question because right, it, it comes from a very good place of wanting to to do that. I I think first of it, first part of it is to go back to the permission giving part of it. It's okay to give money once a year. It's okay to like feel extra generous in December, right? It's the end of the tax season. Yeah. Everybody's generous. It's like, it's great. I can't tell you how much support we receive at iJam and how grateful we are for people that write us a $100 check once a year. Like that matters a great yeah. deal. So I never, like I always want <clears throat> to not disparage the people that are doing that because it's... Oh yeah, for sure. And I know that's not what you were doing at all, but I also am like, part of it's Okay. This is a cool, this is a great time of year. We're feeling extra givey. It's exciting. Like January just feels differently. Like it's cold, but not in a cute way anymore. The lights are down. Like we're all back at work and it's like the beginning of a whole entire year. It just doesn't feel (laughs) like the time of the year you want to give. It just doesn't feel that kind of fun. Um, That's not to say you shouldn't give. But I'm also like, I get it because I feel the same way. Like this is a nice time of season to give. So First of all, like, keep doing it. But I I also think, yeah. from an organizational standpoint, 
we're in this work. I mean, I can speak only for IJM. Like we're in this work for the very long haul and the work is slow and it's systemic and it's going to end slavery in the world. Like I truly believe that by the time my daughters are adults, and, and, and I believe this not just like some pie in the sky notion, but because I'm seeing the evidence, we're seeing the model work. Like I believe that they are going to see an end to slavery. It is starting to, the, the, the dominoes are starting to fall on their own. And so part of it is we can't, we can't go away. We mm-hmm. can't stop. We can't stop. And so part of it is what, what I encourage people to do this year is, you know, give the one-time gift, but also while we're in this special season to give like the recurring gifts, because that just becomes so it's just easy. And I know yeah. some people are like, oh, I like to write a check every month. And that's great. I like things to come out of my account and I don't think about it. And then I just get the same. I just get the mailings, right? Because I just right send me your mail things once a month telling us how the work is going. I will read that. I'm excited by the work. But um, I, I think that's part of it is setting yourself up in the good times for the lean times. And, yeah. you know, while we're feeling all generous, like go and find the organization and it can be IJM, but anything, find that organization that has particularly rung your bell and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to give, you know, I'm going to give $30 a month in my dad's name for the next year instead yeah. of. I cannot do podcast math in front of people, but <laughs> no, 30 bucks good. a month times 12, <laughs> right? Like I'm going to do that all year. Um, and, and I'm going to just let that come out of my bank account as a continual gift because it really just does help organizations. Um, it, it helps them budget, it helps them plan. Um, but I also think it's, it's more than money. I think that one thing that is really good to do during the holiday season, and this is probably the most important thing, is to somehow find a personal connection to the work. Um, and so if you're particularly active in uh, what would be another good non nonprofit, like if you're particularly active in uh, like like serving like, well, we'll just go with IJM. Uh, okay, yeah. We'll just go with IJM. Like if you're particularly like you care about IJM, I feel like this is part of the season, part of the opportunity we have, part of even the some of the extra free time that we have, because sometimes our work life slows down a bit in December, yes. is trying to find ways to connect personally into the work and to kind of re remind yourself of why it is that you care about this. And so sometimes it's like sitting down, watching the most recent film, reading a book, going if there are missions trips, going on those kinds of experiences, going to the local place, getting your hands dirty, because giving money is extremely important. And it's a great first step. But I also think we have to be like actually immersed in the process of of going and serving. And that's going to look different for every single person and the kind of organizations that they care about. But for me, I start to lose I start to lose my true north pretty quickly if I'm not, you know, if I'm not actually getting my hands and feet dirty yes. somehow in the work. And so, you know, for IJ, I'm like, I just need to go to a volunteer thing. I go to the advocacy day that happens every year and we all go to Capitol Hill and go and speak to our elected officials. That kind of stuff regrounds me to the work and reminds me, oh, yes, 
this matters. This is important. This is working. This, yeah. this is like, because if I'm just giving money and answering emails all day, it's just, it does, it's, it's not enough to stay grounded. And so most of the organizations that anybody really cares about will give you those grounding opportunities. I just wouldn't pretend that you're above it. I'd, I'd like right. lean into them and like do it. If they're like, Hey, watch this film. It'll shatter you. Don't just be like, yeah, okay, I'm sure I love you guys. I'm going to keep giving. No, watch it. Cause we need, we need yeah. to be reminded of why it matters. Cause that yes, can drift. The why. Right. The yeah. why, the why is exactly right. Yeah. And like you, I need something tangible that I can be like, this is why it matters. And I'm doing something hands-on right. to help people. Yeah. Cause life yeah, is busy. I totally need we got a whole, yeah, we got a whole is- lot of stuff going on. I'm not always thinking about ending slavery. But I need right. to, right? I like, I'm thinking about like everything yeah. else. And it is just good to be regrounded in it and to remember that there are people that, that there's great hope in this work and there's also great need. And I, the more I can remember that, the, yeah, I, I feel just more rooted to it, to be, to yeah. have the opportunity and grateful to have the opportunity to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, and I really appreciate you kind of answered my next question, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway in case there's something that you want to add to it. Um, Because I can get really overwhelmed by all the things that need to be done. And it's hard for me to get started because you were talking about organizations that ring your bell. I can hear about an organization that needs help right now. And I'm like, oh, well, we should give to that. We could volunteer, you know, and it's it can be too, it's all good, but it can be too much. You know what I mean? Yep. And then I end up doing nothing. So you kind of mentioned this earlier, but what is one step that people can take just to get started? Yes. I will harken back to a former guest that you had, um, our mutual friend, Teddy Ray. Um, oh, yes. And he talked about, and I think he talked about on the show, about just like this idea that there's going to be he has talked about this primary secondary calling deal. Did he talk about that on the podcast? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Part of it is like, okay, I get the work of my whole life. I see what's happening. I understand, you know, the, my connection to family and all those kinds of things. But the rest of it is like, or, you know, my, you know, what I'm doing as a parent, what I'm doing as a husband, what I'm doing to work that God has called me to do like vocationally, all of those things. Mm -hmm. But, then there's just all the other stuff that's a little bit like you don't have to strategize so hard. You don't have to figure it out. We don't have to like fully wait on every like on every like every whim of like God's telling me or not telling me. So I'm just going to not do anything. I think right. the first step is sort of like just go do anything like anything yes. because the I think generally and this might be wrong. But people get trapped in apathy and really trapped in just either apathy or strategy. Like they're trying to figure out, okay, if I do this, then I'm involved with this, and then I'm going to try to do this. And it's like, no, no, no. There's a thing right in front of you. Somebody at church said, hey, can you help count backpacks next week for a backpack drive? And then you're just thinking like, how do I want to get involved with the thing? Do I really right. like, where's my heart in this? Is God calling me to like help kids in this area? Or am I more thinking internationally? It doesn't matter. Like, Right. It's the next right thing. People need help. Yes. It's the next right thing. People need help counting backpacks this week. So just show up and count backpacks. I think that we over strategize our help a little too much. Um, and I, I really respect people so much for being thoughtful about it, but part of it is, you know, I believe that God has all of us at a geographic place, an emotional place and time. 
to for a reason. And so the fact that I'm in Gainesville, Florida right now in these years going to the church that I go to, it matters. And so something yes. is going to come across my path that I need to not ignore because right. what are the chances? What are the chances that I'm here? What are the chances that I heard about that need? I mean, it's like zero, but here I am. So let's just dive in. Um, and I think to the other end of it, and probably a little bit more to what you were saying is I just want to do all of these things. Um, and like, yes. and so you can end up overextending. I think it is to that. I'm like, good job. <laughs> good. Cause you're the opposite of most people is like the overextending, the overgiving, the overhelping, over needing. But what needs to not happen is for you to shut down. And I'm not saying this is particularly you, but like the no, it, it it will be me if I don't figure out the balance. So yeah, yeah, the sympathy burnout does not need no no organization, no group, no marginalized group of people need you to burn out because then you're doing nothing for mm -hmm. everyone, and that's just not helpful. But I think all of it comes from a place that I'm not saying we have a savior complex, but it does come from a place where it's like if I don't do this, who will? And that's the place where. I really have to sit back and go, okay, I can't do nothing. I can't be lazy, but I am going to trust God that if I dig into volunteering with the Red Cross, you know, and my local boys and girls club, that the other nine things that I know are super important are going to get figured out because I feel like that's, that's where I can devote my best time right now instead yeah. of, you know, doing almost nothing for any of them or just overextending yourself. I think it's, we've got to just trust that God has the resources and the people to be able to get it all done. But all right. of those people have to get up and say like, okay, I'll take my next step. If everybody just got up and took a single step, we'd be overwhelmed with help. Yes, right? yes. If, if everybody that ever heard me preach a sermon about IJM became a freedom partner, we wouldn't know what to do with all the money. <laughs> right? we yeah, that would be great, right? Right, we wouldn't know what to do. I mean, we know this. Every pastor that's listening knows that when they're calculating the budget for the next year, the way they have to figure it out is, okay, what if this pretty small group of people tithe? Because everybody else isn't going to do that, right? We have to do math based on the lowest common denominator. And that right. is always like, what if we were able to do the math of, people leveraging their life, money, prayer, advocacy, time. What if we were able to do that math based on, you know, 75% of the people? We, we wouldn't right. know what to do with it all. So for, I, I am always like, don't strategize, don't think, take a single step right now and do something. Right. And you can't get it wrong. You cannot get it wrong. No. Yeah. You yeah. And that's the part that I love. Yes. That's exactly right. You cannot get it wrong. So just do something. And that is because I love how you end your podcast with encouraging people to leverage your life for good. Mm -hmm. And I just love how you end that. Is that how you would just doing something? Is that what you mean when you say leverage your life for good? Okay. I have to tell you a real story that I'm going to okay. make. I got made fun of for about this, but now it's working out in my favor. But when I was a pastor, I would get up at the benediction and I would give the benediction. And I always, always, whether it was me preaching or someone else, kind of the way our church did the benedic benediction was sort of like the typical liturgy, but also sort of like a recap, like, okay, you heard this thing. Now go do this thing, you know, and it was right. sort of like trying to summarize the day. And I often would just kind of shut down during that time because I would just be like, 
just and I would just end up saying something to the effect of like, just go do something. Like, just <laughs> don't sit there being apathetic. Don't just walk out of this place. Just go do something. We've told you about nine things that are happening in the life of the church. We've told you th- a three-point sermon. We have shown you signs on the way in for 10 other things that are happening in and around the community of the church. Please take <coughs> any one of those 20-something opportunities and just do something. Yeah, and yeah. the worship leader would pull me aside afterwards. He's like, hey, can we just maybe pull off of the just do something language and <laughs> maybe make it a little bit more like specific to what we're actually asking? And so I always got goofed on because it was like, just do something. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I I may be underestimating people and maybe everybody is just doing something. But and maybe this whole podcast and this whole thing is for myself to just break myself out of my own apathy. But I just feel like people are waiting to get pushed in a single direction. And I think if we just did something, just one thing, a single step, signed up to give, went and volunteered, if we all actually did that, it would be a fairly overwhelming response. Yes, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So I have one more question for you, Eddie, as we wrap up the podcast. Love it. Unless there's something else you want to touch on that we haven't talked about yet. No, I've enjoyed this so much. You're just such a good interviewer. Like you're very well, engaged. You're asking because you sent me questions. People don't know this. You sent me questions beforehand. You didn't ask ask a lot of them. You just kind of like rolled with it. That's you're a good interviewer. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. You're very kind. You're yeah, doing great. Thanks. Look at this. Okay. What yeah. do you want to ask? I'm ready. Okay. So our podcast is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. Yes, it is. And so what is one practice, spiritual or otherwise, that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Yes. I love that you ask people this question. I love hearing their answers because I'm usually not doing what they're ask what they are doing. And so it's like very helpful to know. <laughs> it is. Um, I would say in this season, and by this season, I mean probably the last six months I have been trying, and this is when you said practice spiritual or otherwise, this definitely, I think, falls into the otherwise category. I love it. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and maybe it would fall into like Sabbath a little bit. But generally, I have been trying to find things that are purely fun and to try to do things that are fun. And uh, that seems easier said than done, maybe for some people, but I'm not a person that naturally gravitates too fun, <laughs> like, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. and uh, take things seriously. Or a lot of things that were fun, like writing or podcasting, are now also fun, but they're really also part of a job. And so there's deadlines attached to it. So I have been trying to find areas in my life where it is just pure joy that can never be connected to <laughs> anything vocational. And and in that fun, I find that it's actually a fairly spiritual practice. Um, so yes. things like just going on a bike ride. I know that seems like, but when's the last time you just got on a bike? Maybe some people do this a lot, but like I dusted off a bike that I hadn't ridden in a while and I just go on bike rides. It's not super intense. It's not for the workout, though it is good to get some exercise, but I just stroll around on a bicycle without a phone. And that has been... Without a phone is key. Yeah, it's just fun, right? It's just enjoyable. I've got to... People are going to... I don't care. It's true. And people are going to push back on it. I got an, I have an Xbox now. I haven't played video games in years. And I get on with some of my friends and we goof around and laugh like 11 year old boys. And we don't do it often, (laughs) right? It's every couple of weeks we'll get on and it's just fun. 
And I find yeah. that my soul longs. My, my soul, I mean, we can get into Enneagram stuff, but like I'm a four. So I'm like real broody, okay. real, uh -huh. real, uh -huh. real into my own head and stuff like that. But my soul longs to just be released from that and to just enjoy something, just to play with, you know, I have two daughters, even Lucy, and they're fantastic, just to yes. play with them and goof around and throw a ball in the backyard. So for me, the way I've been thriving lately is trying to inject periods of real fun into my life. And I have found that it is just balancing out the rest of it really well. Yes. I love that, Eddie. And I think we are, we should all have more fun in our lives. We <laughs> totally like, cause I'm okay. So I'm an Enneagram six. You mentioned the Enneagram yeah. and I don't know if it's related to my Enneagram, but I get so focused on, I got to do this. I have this list. I got to do it. And I can weed out all the fun out of my life because I'm so busy getting stuff done and being productive, you know? Totally. So, yeah. Totally. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I've, I feel you and I, I hear you on that. Like, yeah, yeah. I've, I'm glad I'm glad you resonated with that answer because everybody else's answers have been so much more deep. I'm like, nope, I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to be a dummy and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, Eddie, thank you so much. This conversation has really been a gift to me and I know our listeners will enjoy it. Oh, too, so. so kind of you, Heidi. It was so nice to hang out with you and I love my Asbury friends and just felt really lucky to be a part of your fun Christmas episode. Yeah, so thank you so much, Eddie. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation with Eddie Koffoltz. Today's conversation gave me a lot of food for thought as I think about giving this Christmas season, but also developing a lifestyle of joy and generosity throughout the rest of the year. So I hope you enjoyed it too. Our next episode with Dr. Craig Keener releases Tuesday, December 17th, and you won't want to miss out. So go to iTunes or your favorite podcast player and listen and subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. So have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.